Gamma-aminobutyric acid, often acronymed as the far simpler term, GABA, is a neurotransmitter found in most mature mammals. This substance helps some mammals reach neural maturity by goosing the premature brain into building primitive versions of the neuronal networks that will eventually develop into a fully fleshed-out brain system. It helps some mammalian nervous systems produce certain types of necessary cells, bind things to other things, and have been shown, in some cases, to alleviate certain types of thyroid poisoning to suppress inflammation-related immune responses while promoting more regulatory immune responses. And it seems to increase the secretion of cytokines, which is a category of proteins that moderate signaling between cells. GABA also, in mature mammalian brains, inhibits reception action, which often means muffling signals sent by the central nervous system to the brain. And that may sound a bit disconcerting, but it's actually incredibly important if you are a mammal that wants to sleep at some point. Lacking this nervous system numbing effect, your brain would continue throughout the night to make you aware of what the sensors throughout your body are experiencing just as it does throughout the day. These sensors having their volume knob turned down for a period each night is part of what allows us not just to get sleep, but to stay asleep and to drop into deeper levels of sleep that, although we are still sorting out all the specifics of this, seem to be associated with important neurological health-related processes, like the cleaning of plaque from the brain, and the systemic revisitation of information learned and experiences had throughout the day. Now, that is a very superficial explanation of GABA and what it does throughout the mammalian body. The true depth of the influence this neurotransmitter has on humans, on other animals, and even on plants, which also contain GABA, seemingly as a transmitter of information as well, is far deeper and wades into some pretty serious chemical, biological, and neurological territory, among other fields. This is an expansive, important, and only partially understood substance that almost certainly does countless things we haven't even begun to explore and formally study yet. What we do know about it has often come to us through research into the systems it touches and influences, and in some cases, from our explorations into conditions it causes or amplifies, and those it seems to reduce or cure. In rats, for instance, GABA has been shown to help break down serotonin into the precursor substance of melatonin, which supports the supposition that it may, beyond its existing role as a central nervous system muffler, also serve as a catalyst or aid in mammalian sleep cycles in other ways. We also know that drugs which increase the available quantity of GABA in humans seem to have anti-convulsive, anti-anxiety, and general relaxation effects, though these are difficult results to measure objectively, and in some cases come with bizarre side effects, like limited experiences of amnesia. Like pretty much any substance that seems to do something that someone somewhere considers to be beneficial, though, 
humans have been attempting to utilize GABA as both a drug and a casual remedy for quite a long time, even before we knew precisely what it was we were dealing with, and before we understood, to the degree that we do today at least, what was doing what within our brains and bodies to cause these effects. GABA tea, for instance, is a specially produced type of tea leaf that has been fermented in such a way that GABA, which again is found naturally in plants as well as animals, accumulates in higher than usual proportions. GABA teas have been produced via various means throughout modern history, but a more science-oriented process using an oxygen-free environment was developed in Japan in the late 1980s, and this resulted in a version of the tea that maintained its usual amount of caffeine and catechin, but in which essentially all of its glutamic acid, which is the chemical precursor of GABA, has been fully converted into GABA. This tea was then put on the market in Japan and advertised as a means of reducing hypertension, as it was found during the course of their testing of this product that it lowered blood pressure in hypertensive animals and humans. That said, there is no evidence that ingested GABA, so GABA consumed as part of a food or beverage, can penetrate the blood-brain barrier, and in fact there is decent evidence that it cannot do so, which means any effect of this kind is likely the consequence of some other mechanism or chemical, not a manipulation of the central nervous system by GABA-contained in these products, as is sometimes implied by marketing materials that present ingested GABA as a brain-augmenting pseudodrug that can magically reduce one's levels of stress and anxiety, help one fall asleep, and or become healthier in some vaguely gestured-at way. What I'd like to talk about today is a relatively new beverage category that's become fairly popular and successful in the early days of 2021. And most of the beverages in this category claim to make use of a variety of substances, including GABA, to help folks chill out, relax, and get better sleep. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The article I'd like to unspool today comes from Fast Company, and it's entitled PepsiCo Wants to Help the Caffeinated Masses Get Better Sleep with its New Relaxation Drink. PepsiCo is a sprawling, multinational corporation that was formed in the mid-1960s via a merger between the Pepsi-Cola Company and Frito-Lay, both of which already had a pretty significant portfolio of food and beverage options before the merger, and which invested in more of the same post-merger. They then snapped up other portfolios of brands and products as well, adding Quaker Oats, which itself also included Gatorade, and Tropicana into that larger catalog of consumables. Today, PepsiCo also owns snack food brands like Cracker Jack and Rolled Gold Pretzels, health-ish food brands like Naked Juices and Smoothies, Izzy Sparkling Juice and Smart Food Products, and breakfast food brands like Cap'n Crunch and Aunt Jemima. 
They also own the Pepsi Beverages Company, which is a bottling interest. They own the largest food and beverage company in Russia, and they own quite a few similar companies in Spain, Egypt, Serbia, the Netherlands, Brazil, Mexico, Albania, Greece, Cyprus, Kosovo, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Portugal, Uruguay, Australia, a handful of countries throughout the southern portion of Africa, and several countries in Oceania. They own the Aquafina, Propel Zero, and Sobe Life Water bottled water brands, and they own the Amp, Bang, No Fear, Rockstar, Starbucks Refreshers, and Sobe Energy Drink brands as well. They made over $67 billion in revenue in 2019 and had assets worth nearly $79 billion that same year, with equity of nearly $15 billion. They employed, as of 2019, around 267,000 people worldwide, and they are the second largest food and beverage company in the world behind only Nestle. PepsiCo is, in short, a very large, very global, very wealthy, and powerful and influential company. And in September of 2020, they released their first ever relaxation drink, a product called Driftwell. This is interesting for several reasons, the first of which is that a company of this scale doesn't tend to mess around, so when they dive into a new industry, especially one that isn't terribly well-entrenched or well-known yet, that indicates there's probably fairly solid data that this is an industry set to pop. It's ready for the big time, and Pepsi is hoping to stake out their plot of land before the other behemoths arrive and soak up all of the available brand equity. It's also interesting, though, because of what these drinks are, what they represent, and what they might indicate about where the consumer landscape is going next. Before diving deeper into those specifics, though, let's talk broadly about what a relaxation drink even is. At its most fundamental, a relaxation drink is a type of functional beverage. And a functional beverage is anything that purports to provide its consumer with functionality above and beyond simple thirst quenching. So coffee is a functional beverage because most people don't drink coffee just because they're thirsty. They drink it because it perks them up, gives them a sense of wakefulness, that sort of thing. Energy drinks are the same way. Most people do not drink them just because they're parched. They drink them because they've come to associate these drinks with the buzz that it gives them, and because of the claims made on the can or bottle. Many of them have an assortment of chemical, nutritional, or herbal elements added, alongside the caffeine and often high quantities of sugar or other sweeteners. Sports drinks, like Gatorade, are functional beverages as well, as are many types of synthetic pseudo-milks made from plants, or even, arguably, many milks that are fortified with vitamin D or other supplement-like additives, as are so-called enhanced waters, pre-bottled tea or tea-like drinks, or plain old tea itself, as it's often consumed for the perceived herbal-derived or caffeine-based benefits. There are, of course, people who consume these and similar beverages just out of habit or because they like the taste. But many of us justify drinking a specific beverage because it seems like it will add something positive to our lives. And then we continue drinking it because it becomes a habit or because it's more interesting than plain old water. 
What typically distinguishes these beverages from something like water, or plain milk, or other unadulterated drinks of that standard basic nature, though, is that these functional beverages are meant or thought to provide some kind of additional function above and beyond just being a liquid you can safely consume. So when I use that term, this is what I'm referring to. A relaxation drink, then, is a more specific type of functional beverage that, in contrast to drinks that perk us up or provide us with vitamins or protein or whatever else, all they're meant to do is help us relax, calm down, de-stress, and in some cases, sleep. Or sleep better in some way, more effectively. The function of this specific class of functional beverage, then, is different from that of energy drinks or coffee or a protein powder-derived fitness smoothie. But for the purposes of market categorization and branding and demographic modeling and other such monetary and marketing considerations, they're actually pretty similar or even the same. They fall into the functional beverage category despite offering a very different sort of function than many other common and popular functional beverages. Now, this specific slice of the larger beverage industry, the functional beverage market, is, depending on which numbers you use, said to be worth somewhere around $31.7 billion as of 2019. This market segment is expected to dip a small amount in 2020, but it's then expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate of a little over 8% from 2021 until 2023, which is not quite double the rate of growth from the preceding period. Leading up to 2019, energy drinks accounted for not quite a quarter of the total functional beverage market, but that's expected to decrease to around 9% from 2020 forward. Typically, the broad health and wellness segment of the functional beverage market is the most dominant one, making up over 80% of the total market segment in 2019, and that includes some of the aforementioned energy drinks which straddle these two categories, in case you were wondering how a market can be split up into categories of 80% and nearly 25% at the same time. Some drinks are marketed as both health and wellness drinks and energy drinks. Notably, during the 2020 pandemic, many people have swapped out sugary, caffeine-loaded energy drinks for more healthful, or at the very least less harmful, functional beverages. And one of the key opportunities seen in this change in consumer habits within their key demographics is to capture the money that folks would usually spend on energy drinks and to nudge them toward purchasing more relaxation drinks instead. I should note that this nudge is just one of a larger collection of nudges. They're also trying to swing those consumers who might otherwise leave these companies to just drink water or coffee or something like that into habits revolving around protein-heavy drinks, natural botanical-infused drinks, CBD-infused drinks, where that's legal at least, and dairy-based functional beverages for folks who prefer natural ingredients, alongside dairy-ish-based drinks for their vegan clientele. And all this nudging is happening as their traditional bread-and-butter product, carbonated beverages like Pepsi and Mountain Dew, decline in sales by about 1% a year because of changing habits and an increasingly negative perception of these sorts of products. 
In essence, this shift in habit, potentially stemming from a change-up in workday routine, potentially the consequence of thinking about one's health near constantly while in the midst of a global pandemic, and potentially because younger consumers tend to be more health-conscious on average, and that includes drinking a lot less alcohol, is leading to a significant swing in investment for beverage companies, which are scrambling to make sure they have offerings for folks who might otherwise leave them for greener pastures. Whether that means a generic sort of product that they can't profit from, like tap water, or shifting their habit-maintaining dollars over to one of their competitors, who is able to serve those new needs better. The relaxation drinks currently on offer, and those that are in the pipeline, for near-future release, overlap quite a bit with those other categories. Some have protein, some are dairy-based, some have CBD or caffeine, but they also have several things in common, at least in their current manifestations. Many such drinks include amino acid analogs called L-theanine and L-threonine, substances found naturally in tea leaves and in foods like poultry, fish, meat, lentils, and sesame seeds, respectively. These amino acid analogs are often partnered with GABA, which I talked about in the intro, and which is found in plants more generally. Other relaxation drinks also, or instead, include things like chamomile, passion flowers, a mint-like plant called Melissa officinalis, or oxytriptan, which is a precursor chemical to the neurotransmitter serotonin, which, among other things, moderates mood, and melatonin, which is a sleep-related chemical we make inside our bodies, which does, in some cases, seem to help people sleep, but which is generally not recommended for things like insomnia. It's a limited sort of sleep aid. Important to note here is that these and most of the other ingredients found in relaxation drinks but also other sorts of adjacent products like energy drinks and the fitness or overall generally healthy vibe sort of beverages are more or less harmless, but also not particularly effective at anything in particular. They're a bit like most multivitamins on the market. They probably won't hurt you, unless you take too many, but they also probably won't help most people. And that would seem to be the big open secret of this emerging industry the large-scale entrance into this emerging industry, anyway. This stuff is mostly for show, which doesn't mean it won't work for some people, but it probably won't work for the reasons we think. Part of that non-effectiveness, it should be noted, is because the dosage included is almost universally below what you would find in proper substance-specific supplements. Some of these products, including the aforementioned Pepsi product, Driftwell, include a bit of magnesium, a mineral that, in some studies, has been shown to maybe kind of sort of help with sleep for some people, in relatively small trials using some forms of magnesium. The amount included in the recommended serving of the drink, one can, which is 7.5 ounces though, is only 40 milligrams. And for reference, the average pill-based dosage of magnesium found on shelves is somewhere between 250 on the low end and 500 milligrams on the high end. And even at those dosages, the research on magnesium for this use case is fairly thin. It's the sort of thing that you should probably only be taking if you're deficient. And though most Americans, at least, are at least partially deficient because of our diets, 
This is also something that we can easily and more beneficially typically get from a diet that includes green, leafy vegetables and some nuts or legumes. So the inclusion of this substance in this drink is questionable, and that questionability extends to the L-theanine, L-threonine, and GABA, the latter of which, you might recall from the intro, doesn't even seem to cross the blood-brain barrier, and the two former of which have a small collection of studies that indicate that they may reduce the physical symptoms of stress and help improve sleep quality, but other studies indicate the opposite, that that probably isn't the case. The lack of certitude here is reflected in the company's legal inability to claim that these beverages can help you sleep. They use a lot of general language about relaxation, and they utilize very direct and illustrative imagery that implies nighttime and sleepiness and similar themes. But these drinks can't do anything but make claims about stress and anxiety and sleep benefits, because the data that does exist about them is utterly unconvincing and there's remarkably little of even that. Now that said, having ingredients that actually do something is probably not the point. Anything too effective would probably actually be a little dangerous to include in a consumer product that could be so easily accidentally overindulged in. And there's a good reason to avoid, if you want to get a product like this on the shelf fast, anything that would require enhanced Food and Drug Administration scrutiny, as would be the case with any actual medical-grade substances or things that have been proven to work in some predictable and significant way. The real point, it would seem, is to create a brand experience, including a taste, marketing materials, design, that make the consumer feel as if they're taking some kind of well-being-focused, healthy product that might even be a drug of some kind, for all they know, and which then, as a consequence, causes them to experience the very benefits that they're hoping to achieve because they think that they might be getting chemical assistance in doing so. The placebo effect is a very real phenomenon. This is what can happen, at times, when someone believes they are taking a drug, but when all they're actually taking is a sugar pill, a fake drug meant to make them think that they're taking a drug. Sometimes the human mind and body can work together to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do if we believe, even just a little, and in some cases even when we don't actually believe all that much, that there's a possibility that we took a drug or had a procedure that will help us in some way cure something that we have. This is why legitimate drug trials have to include placebo groups so it can be determined whether the effects seen in the people taking the drug are the consequence of that drug or the consequence of people thinking that they've taken that drug and then responding in this placebo-instigated way. This reliance on marketing gimmicks, brand image, and a general sense of relaxation and drowsiness and healthiness, then, may not be the end of the world. And the folks behind these things seem to be embracing this fact, if not actually outright claiming it, in a way that could reduce the impact of that potential placebo vibe. The Verge published a piece on this very subject recently, entitled Chill Imbibes. And in that piece, the CEO of a relaxation beverage company called Recess said that the company's Instagram account 
is a version of recess that you consume with your mind. And that just as energy drinks don't sell caffeine, they sell an energetic vibe, so too is their company selling a feeling, a relaxed, calmed-down, sleepy vibe, not the substances purported to cause those feelings. Their marketing campaign even says, quote, we canned a feeling, end quote. And that sounds about right to me. Now, the degree to which this vibe will be worth paying for is questionable. It seems like there's high demand for this sort of thing at the moment, and that might continue. And it seems like even athletes and sports teams are into this concept of sleep as a lifestyle hack, as many of these drinks tout their athletics world accolades and famous athlete consumers, while also bearing the logo for the National Sanitation Foundation, or NSF, which basically means that the product in question has been assessed and is guaranteed to contain what it says it does and in particular, guaranteed not to contain any substances that have been banned in formal sporting events, which is vital if you're an athlete wanting to get more and better sleep and considering drinking such a beverage, but you don't want to risk your ability to compete. It may be, of course, that the market for better sleep shifts to other sorts of sleep aids instead. Blackout blinds, low blue light monitors, caffeine-free drinks that are delicious enough to make people want to consume them all day, even though they lack that most common of addictive stimulants. There's also a chance that general sleep-related best practices will win out instead of other products. Brands do tend to fulfill needs faster than free alternatives in the modern consumer ecosystem. But there's also the possibility that better overall lifestyle hygiene and choices could be the solution that many people opt for, rather than just another paid-for, metaphorical or literal, pill-like replacement. There's a good chance, though, that we will see this market grow, that various substances will rise up as the new temporary additive celebrity and will be included in many of these drinks for a time, until being replaced or joined by another newly hyped chemical or flower or type of mushroom extract. GABA is in right now, but it might not always be. There will be other future GABAs. There's also a chance that some of these substances might actually do as claimed and live up to the vague marketing copy and what's implied by the imagery on their cans and throughout their Instagram accounts. Big picture, though. It's worth remembering that in some cases, what we're actually paying for is not the tangible product itself, but the feeling of buying and consuming it, which is probably a bit manipulative, but not necessarily always in a latently harmful way. It's up to us individually to decide if that's enough, if that's the way that we want to tackle these sorts of issues that we face, or if other products, lifestyles, or habits might be the more prudent option for any given intended outcome. The book that I'd like to recommend today is actually quite topical for this episode. It's entitled Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense by Rory Sutherland. This book is topical for this week's episode 
because it's written by a brazen ad man who is writing about different ways of looking at the world and different ways of solving problems, problems in general, but also problems related to business and that type of thinking, through the lens of somebody who is all about communicating in a particular way. And that particular way just happens to be very effective if you are trying to sell somebody something, whether that's a product or an idea. This is one of those books that I think is useful whether or not you're trying to sell something to somebody. It's useful to understand the thinking of people who are trying to sell you things all day long. So it may be that some of these ideas will actually be useful in terms of looking at things in a different way, but it's also just useful to understand some of the tactics and at times manipulations that are utilized by companies that do marketing for a living and the people who run those companies. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense by Rory Sutherland. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript of this episode and every episode at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other podcast, Brain Lenses, wherever you get your podcasts or at brainlenses.com. You can find my news-focused daily newsletter at yesterdaysnewsletter.com, and you can find my blog at exilelifestyle.com. Feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm Colin Wright on Facebook and at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.